0: Hello and welcome to the New Ears Podcast, an auditory exploration of the art of the album. Today we will be talking about the Elliott Smith album, Either Or. Either Or was released on February 25th, 1997, and it's the second full-length solo release by Elliott Smith. While this album never charted, it gained him much critical acclaim, including getting him work with Gus Van Zandt on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack. My guest today is my very good friend, Nate Whiteside a television and film editor. There were a few minor audio hiccups through the course of editing this, but nothing to detract from the conversation, so I hope you'll enjoy.
1: Start, stop, and start. Stupid acting smart. Flirting with the flick
0: hello everybody I'm here with Nate Whiteside and we're about to talk about the album you just heard me give you some information about but before that hey, Nate, why don't you go ahead and, and tell anyone listening whatever you have to promote or draw attention to
2: sure sure uh, hi everyone listening hi Jonathan I'm an editor I work um, mostly on like independent film stuff I listen to Elliot Smith <laughs> who I like a lot recently I've been assistant editing on some stuff um, a couple of things that um, got into Sundance a movie called Frank and Lola and I just spent a couple days is working on a movie called "Morris from America," uh, which a friend of mine, uh, Sarah, produced. Quite good. Uh, I encourage people to check those out if they get a chance. Uh, hopefully, they'll you know they'll be at the festival and then potentially out later in the year.
0: That's that's kind of it. Well, I mean, that's enough. That's a, quite a few films. That's uh, three more films than I could mention. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's great. Well, then let's, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into the subject at hand, and that would be Elliot Smith's. Either or. Yeah. Now I have a question for you that I want to take. Well, before we do that, why don't you go ahead and tell anyone who's listening what your personal history with this album is, and then I will I will do the same and then we'll get into more stuff.
2: Sure, sure. I mean it's just this is an album that I've listened to since I was in, you know, in high school. And obviously a lot of people my, my musical taste, I think a lot of people's musical tastes are it's kind of where they're fully formed. It's where they take roots when you're, you know, in your teenage years. And so it's something that like I it's an album that I listened to a a lot when I was moving around after college as well. One thing that I loved about it is it has a great sense of kind of, of places. Um, I lived in Portland where Elliot Smith lived for a long time. I listened to this album while walking around the city a lot. I don't know, it's it's obviously a very personal album and kind of made me think of, you know, things that are personal in my life. So
0: no totally i completely understand i will note that i think the first place i ever heard elliot smith was as a passenger in your car and i believe it fueled a lot of fights about who was the better sad songwriter bright eyes or elliot smith
2: oh for sure for sure
0: and you know honestly before while preparing for this this episode i mean it's a little bit off topic but i did finally put into words how i feel about elliot smith versus bright eyes okay and I, I think that Elliot Smith from a song to song level mm-hmm. Bright Eyes is never going to write a song as beautiful as the most beautiful Elliot Smith song. No, no. But Elliot Smith never t- managed to write an album as complete as a Bright Eyes album to me. Okay, okay. I mean, I think that's fair. Which brings me very much to the first question I'd like to ask you. I do think that th- that either or is an album and a collection of songs but I do feel like it almost pushes my parameter of what the difference is between an album and a collection of songs. So mm-hmm. I was hoping. And maybe you could put into your words why you find this to be an album that's an excellent question i mean it's it is a hard album to
2: kind of to wrap your head around as like that there's like a theme you know the songs are so aside from kind of melancholy i don't know that there is like a theme running through all of these songs i mean one reason why i kind of wanted to talk about this album is because i just think it's like you said i think elliot Smith's songs are kind of amazing it's amazing songwriting and so just like the collection of songs i think is probably some of the best i mean i think that makes it a great album as far as like an overarching theme or or template that he kind of sets forth I don't know that that exists as much so you, you you might be right there
0: well i think i think it does exist but i think this is personally why it pushes my parameters but also why i fell on the side of it is definitely an album is that the way elliot smith writes lots of musicians write that like it's coming from an autobiographical standpoint right but i find it hard to believe that he's writing from anything but an autobiographical standpoint so i do feel like almost every elliot smith album is a chapter of his life right it's about him right and that's That obviously makes it have a cohesive thought, but again, the argument to that is, is even if songs from it aren't about him, he writes in such a way that it's, you, he personalizes everything so well then. Sure. If, If there is a song on this album that's not about him, I can't see it as far as I'm concerned.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I talked about earlier, as far as like, you listen to songs that are so personal- but you kind of can't help but personalize them to yourself, you know, which is something I think this album does a great job of is kind of he puts you in his space, you know, in his headspace really, really well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and like I said, I mean, he's passed now, so we'll never know for sure. But even if he has a couple songs that aren't written about him, they're definitely internalized in a way that, that other people don't do. Right, right. That kind of brings me into the other side of it is that I feel like the more, the more I re-listen to Elliott Smith, because as, as I said, we you and I both listened to it in high school, mm-hmm. As I re re listen to it, I just realized he definitely not in the same way as someone like the Mountain Goats does, mm-hmm. but he does have this simple elegance about, especially on this album. Yeah, this album and the album before are very heavy on the simple elegance of the song.
2: Yeah, I it was struck listening, going back and listening to it like quite a few times, like preparing for this. I was struck by how how great the songs are, like how well written they're like, and how to the extent that they kind of can be, you know, based on their subject matter, are poppy almost. Mm-hmm. He's he, his hooks are so are such great hooks, and his voice is so hits those high notes so amazingly. It really is like it's kind of like masterful pop songs almost. Um If they weren't so kind of dark occasionally
0: and folky, I mean mm-hmm. dark and folky because they are very. Especially on this album, he has and the and the self titled one he has a very folky feel. Definitely m- more stripped down. I think he moves yeah. away. Were there any other thoughts that you had about the album as a whole? I'm kind of I kind of ran through mine pretty fast.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Soda, I mean, I really, because like we talked about the, the album doesn't have, I don't know that there is like a message within like throughout the album, I really concentrated on like the songs, the specifics of the song. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts on the album as well.
0: Well, couldn't we argue that the album itself is slices of of life as opposed to poignant messages? Definitely, definitely. We're being the uh, voyeur as the music listener for for this music. Right. And that's strong enough, I think. It definitely, definitely plays out. I think anything else we really need to touch about the album, we can do throughout the songs or come back around towards the end. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Well, we're going to take a very brief break here and we'll be right back. Start,
1: stop and start. Stupid acting with the Welcome
0: freaking. back to the New Years podcast. We had a little brief discussion about the album of Either or in full a minute ago, but we're going to take a minute to go song by song, track by track, talk about all the things about it. You know, we're going to go ahead right now and play you a brief snippet of Speed Trials. it's just me but it's really hard not to see this song as anything but substance abuse i i agree
2: i mean and it's going to be the case for a lot of these songs i think yeah one thing i noticed uh in a lot of these songs is uh elliot smith uh talks to you the listener a lot and I, I and i wonder when he's saying you is he is he speaking to himself when he's singing and that really you know that makes me think about like the substance abuse problem that and that's what he's talking about in this song i i wonder it's kind of like he's He's being kind of pulled down, you know?
0: No, I totally, and and it's great that you brought that up because my notes for this song, I was like, this song is either in second person, either every time he says you, he's talking to him. Right. Or it's someone in a relationship with him talking to him. You know, and it could be the other way around. He could be talking to someone he's in a relationship with. But the you, to me, doesn't, in most of his songs, I mean, he's definitely directing it at the listener to evoke a feeling.
2: But you feel like he's talking about him, that he's talking to himself as
0: well. If not more so. Yeah, definitely. And I I one of my other notes for this song is you know, in the, the vein of that it's hard not to see this as substance abuse is that beneath the horse, that's gotta be a euphemism for heroin. I can't imagine it as anything else.
2: And that beginning is kind of what I was talking about, like he's trapped underneath something, you know, that he he's trying to get out from underneath it. He's being brought down by this thing.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I will I'd love to point out lyrics are pretty important to me, but some of these lyrics I hadn't paid as much attention to, or I guess I just didn't have access to as much as I do now. And One line I never quite heard right, and I don't even remember how I heard it. I almost ignored it. But one line that I never really noticed before, I heard the second half of it, but I never noticed what the first half of what he was saying. But I love this line, when the socket's not a shock enough. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. I think it's a beautiful little piece. It's nice,
2: like, kind of interior rhyming there with uh, the ah and shock and socket, you know? And it's it's a pretty good uh, metaphor, I think. For sure. The other line that I really enjoyed in that same verse is, uh, you're such a pinball. It's such a great like kind of image of someone kind of being spun out of control like against their will they're being hit and they they have no nowhere to go you know they just keep hitting walls and and they're not really in control
0: yeah they're just bouncing around aimlessly for sure you know and I I feel like we covered a lot of the meaning of this song pretty easily I don't have any further notes about it
2: I, I did have I had one thing uh it's kind of a, a production thing I love I, I kind of noticed I don't know that I ever noticed this before but I love at the beginning you can kind of hear a tape recorder being pressed down it's like it's like you you hear someone press the record on a tape player and then the song starts. It's kind of a nice, interesting uh, production touch, I thought.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, now that you mention it, I totally noticed that recently and was like, oh, yeah, it's a signifier.
2: Yeah. It's all about to start. It's something that doesn't really... Those type of I don't know if you want to call it cutesy things don't show up a lot in Elliot Smith's production, especially his early stuff, which is a little more stripped down. He gets you know, he includes more interest instruments the further on he gets in his kind of career. But I thought that was an interesting kind of little thing that he included.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well let's play a little snippet of Alameda. This song still definitely feels like it's about substance abuse. I feel like there's, not to say there isn't anything going on in the first song, but I feel like there's more levels to it in this song. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Just from the very beginning, I think he puts the substance abuse more in terms of like how how he deals with the outside world. Like whereas um, Speed Trials felt much more interior and him kind of trying to find his way out of himself almost. This one, it's how Hib's addiction and abuse kind of um, affects the outside world and how he relates to the outside world. The very first line shuffling his deck of trick cards over everyone it's like he's kind of trying to fool people and not show not let them under like know what he's going through and um the whole song is really about him trying to keep his addiction from people
0: yeah and at the same time keeping people at a distance Right, because of it. Yeah. Right, right. I, that's exact that's pretty much exactly what I have as like, you know, this is about drug use destroying relationships of all kinds, not just romantic. Yeah. It's about keeping people at a distance because of this drug use. It's about hiding from people, and it's about like putting a false face forward to an extent.
2: Yeah, definitely. I love the line how you maintain all them in a constant state of suspense. It's such a self-aware line, you know, that he he understands what he can put people through because of it, and that's a, a great explanation. Of like why he's trying to keep people at a
0: distance. Well, yeah, totally. And once again, it totally feels like the "you" means that this song is second person directed at him. Yes, exactly. Which is a theme I feel like he used. He used it throughout his music, but it's especially heavy on this album, I think. I was going to ask you. I, I wrote this down. I was.
2: I thought a lot about the the refrain at the end. Nobody broke your heart. You broke your own because you can't finish what you start. I wonder. Did you think about that at all, or like what that might mean? I kind of had some thoughts, but I was curious what you you might think.
0: I think it it means. It's a lot of things it's so it's such a loaded little statement in a lot of ways to me it's that you know the reason you're walking around so sad isn't because another person it's because you you never got to where you needed to be right
2: right yeah I I kind of thought of it more like I was thinking of it again in terms of like drugs and alcohol abuse like to me there was almost a note of like you broke your own because you can't finish what you start and what you're trying to not finishing what you start in terms of like are you trying to like put yourself down a hole so far you can't take out your way out of like nobody broke your heart and you broke your own because you can't kill yourself i mean there was a hint of like a death wish sort of like to me
0: well i'd hate to agree with you but as soon as you started saying that point i was like yeah i see that too and and it's part of me you know i didn't want to
2: think that you don't want to like attribute future events to the song lyrics, but um, it definitely jumped out at me.
0: Yeah, and that definitely gives this whole thing a different—not a different meaning, but it just casts a different feel on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But it is—it is a kind of a loaded statement because it could mean a lot of things. Hmm. Oh, do you have any other thoughts on this? I really don't. I—I th- I feel like we kind of covered all of them, and I'm glad you brought up that last line. And—and and I'm guessing since you don't either, we should go ahead and move on to Ballad of Big Nothing.
1: You're silly.
0: this song more than the last two feels a lot more open to interpretation uh-huh. and while some of my interpretations do lean on substance abuse again I don't feel like that's exclusively what this song is about. Okay. Uh, it does feel like and this is where, where it can both simultaneously be about substance abuse and it's and not. My biggest note for this song is it feels like it's about the moment people either actually give up on you or that you feel that people have given up on you Right. It's very
2: nihilistic. It seems like almost obviously the this- the title of the song Ballad of Big Nothing you know there's nothing there and I I agree it seems nihilistic because there's such a you can do what you want wherever you whenever you want to like there's no consequences there's nothing there's nothing to there's no one to you know let down there's no one to to stop you I love that the last part of the last line of the song kind of undercuts that whole that whole idea of you can do what you want to because he says whenever you want you can do what you want to whenever you want to though it doesn't mean a thing it's like the whole song has been kind of not Freewheeling, but allowing you to to do do anything, but then in the end he says but it doesn't matter. Right, <laughs> just what's the point? No, yeah. Great, you, d- yeah. you did it,
0: what What now? But then there's like a lot of lines that are like things that make me feel like it is about people giving up on you for sure, because there's that line about like, I saw your brother down in the alley, he had had enough of it all Yeah, right. Little things like that I feel like it's like, oh, people are tired of me and my problems. Yeah. This is a little bit more upbeat than the last two songs. I feel like this is the first time that this album takes a little less somber of a turn musically.
2: Yeah, and that's that's kind of like again, like I mentioned how it seemed almost in comparison to the first two songs, like free freewheeling and carefree, like like he's kind of let loose a little bit and then he undercuts it with that last part and kind of brings it back down to a little, like you said, some nihilism.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it and then in the end, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Let's go ahead and listen to a little snippet of Between the Bars. People, you've
1: been before that you don't. Around anymore, they push and shove and won't bend to your will. I'll keep them still. Drink up, baby. Look at the stars. Look.
0: Madonna has covered Between the Bars. Is that right? I don't think I knew that. N- Madonna was asked what song of the last, like, 30 years she wished she wrote, and she said Elliot Smith's Between the Bars. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's something, right? Yeah. I don't think it's a very good cover, but it's amazing that it happened. <laughs> I would not have picked uh, Madonna
2: to be the first to, to cover this song, or first that I've heard to cover this song.
0: Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. I saw that
2: online and I was just like, you're kidding me. Obviously, this song is about alcoholism and about drinking. I mean, and just the lyrics are so straightforward to me because this kind of comes back to what we were talking to about his um, narration and like the you he's talking to is maybe not the listener but to himself in this one I wonder if it really is him talking to someone else because the song really feels like it's about someone trying to get someone else to
0: drink you know and to drag someone else down I feel similar but different about that I do feel like this is geared towards someone else I I didn't have a lot of notes about this song but I just it gives me the feeling and yeah yeah, I think he's encouraging someone else to drink, but not necessarily in a negative way. Mm-hmm. But it gives me that, that feeling that, like, you're hanging out with a random person and you're both kind of venting. And then slowly, the more you drink, the more you're like, I have it as the feeling of falling in love in an alcohol hazed night of escape. Interesting. To, to me, it was like, it was a
2: relationship where, like, uh, a relationship where he's trying to get someone to drink with him and to, and he just wants, he just wants to get drunk with this person, and have everyone else be outside of it. Like, and, the, So you're kind of trying to like have them be yours. And this is the way to do it by getting them to drink with you and, and to get drunk you know I, I wrote down this line people you've been before that you don't want around anymore that push and shove and won't bend to your will I'll keep them still I'll keep them still like I like what does this still mean is it like I'll keep them quiet I'll keep them
0: outside of our relationship what
2: we're doing here you know
0: uh, again I, I that's exactly kind of how I see that and but, but I'm interpreting it more towards what I was saying It's just like you know all those things that you're trying to get rid of let's not worry about that let's drink let's look at the stars okay you again? Absolutely. I mean, and, and so it's it's interesting that like he's trying to get this person
2: to to be in this space with him and just him, but also acknowledging that it's it's kind of a prison in and of itself. I mean, that's got to be what the bars are. I'll kiss you again between the bars. Like to me, it's like prison bars or a cage. You know, they're, they're kind of locking themselves away in this stupor. A little. I,
0: and I think that speaks for the beauty of the dual use because it obviously they're like bar hopping too.
2: Okay. Yeah. I you know I didn't even really think of that. I always kind of. I always thought of them as like actual bars.
0: See, I always thought we're we're sharing a drink
2: in between going to the next bar. <laughs> That's interesting. I it's something that like never really crossed my mind.
0: Yeah, that is that is interesting. I I think I maybe considered the the bars, but I it's been so long since I've listened to this album as actively as I did for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I, I couldn't tell you what I was thinking when I was seventeen. Right. But I can tell you that when I was th- listening to it now, all I could hear was they they've got like a forty in a brown paper bag that they're carrying in between going to the next bar. Oh, that's so interesting.
2: I mean, I think there's a lot of, I, I, maybe one of the reasons that I thought of literal bars is that I, I think there's like other kind of like imagery in the song about like being captured.
0: Well, yeah. And the whole thing about the people you've been before, they push and shove, but won't bend to your will. I'll keep yeah. them still. I'll keep them locked up. Right, yeah. But I think both meanings make sense and both meanings could be accurate at the same time. Definitely, definitely. In the next verse, uh, after
2: the between the bars line, he, again, he goes to the the imagery of kind of like confining the other person. He'll keep you apart deep in my heart, separate from the rest where I like you the best. I think that's pretty obviously like him saying, I want you here with me and I'll, I'll keep you. It's just us, you know, like and no one else can be in our world here.
0: And, and at the same time like, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. That like, that weird awkward situation where all of a sudden it's just you and someone that you find attractive drinking. Right. And the the world starts the, the slow way and it's like, just stay here with me. Let's keep this moment alive. Yeah, definitely. As a Opposed to all the negative moments that might be waiting for us outside of this. It is interesting that you seem to have like a much
2: more positive spin on it, whereas I came away with a much more negative spin on it.
0: That is interesting, especially considering
2: I'm a very negative person. Let's see if I had any other notes. I think that's that's all my thoughts on this one.
0: Yeah, me too. So we're going to go ahead and, and now play a little bit of the next track, which is Pictures <laughs> of on this show, we like to pick the three songs on the album that we think are the standout tracks. And this is the first standout track of this album to me. I love this song. It's definitely one of my
2: favorites. I mean, I think the song previous is Between the Bars is one of the standouts. That's probably like a
0: top three or four song on this album to me but I do love this one I mean so many so many things about it and it's I'm almost at a loss for words you know I was I was thinking about this earlier today I listened to this album twice today before I even recorded this and I was just thinking like you know I realized I don't like pictures of me and I don't like posing for cameras I wonder if subconsciously (laughs) I'm just like I am so sick and tired of pictures of me like I feel like I feel like maybe somewhere in the back of my mind because of this song I'm like yeah I don't want to see these pictures of me these symbols of something I was before.
2: Yeah. I think I came way again, kind of listening to the song, trying to figure out like where this fit into his, his psyche. Since so many of these songs are kind of about that. Like I, I really, I zoned in a lot on the, the line so sick and tired of these pictures of me completely wrong totally wrong it just made me think of like what maybe like not literal pictures but like people's impressions of him you know like that like he's maybe becoming like a more famous musician and maybe people are talking about him in certain ways or how he's portrayed in like articles or after shows or you know like to me it was a lot about like other people's impressions of not only him but maybe other people's impress- impressions of addiction And you know, and like how they get it wrong a lot of the
0: time. I was just trying to let that siren pass. Um, no, totally. Uh, I, I think that's true, too. I, m- one of my other statements is that I feel like this is a very classic idea of the artist hates the world and their own metaphorical image. And that's what's going on. I feel like, you know, and obviously he writes a bunch of sad songs and for people who love intercontextuality. In another album I talked about recently, there was a whole song about, well, it's hard to write songs when you're happy. Right. <laughs> so I feel like he's like, well, this is just a one-sided image because of what I'm writing about. You have no idea. Idea, all the aspects of my life
2: right and you focus on this one aspect that I, I write about because it's because I, I'm put in this place where you like you said it's maybe you know all these emotions are so bottled up that that's something it's easier to write about because it's a little more surface
0: yeah exactly and that for lack of a better word I'm gonna call it that pain of his becomes a very one-sided image hmm
2: right yeah. obviously it's a very important line of song but that everybody's dying just to get the disease uh, it seemed like maybe like people glamorizing addiction
0: I think that's it but that's that actually, that line comments or ties into something that, that I interpreted from the song that I definitely feel like it might just be a little bit more personal in my own experience that puts this in. But I feel like in a, in a lot of ways, the song is a commentary on our fascination with celebrity, even on a local level.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wrote down fame. Like, that was the first word I wrote
0: down when I was listening to this song. It's interesting. Yeah, because it is. I mean, he is talking very, again, we don't know for sure, but he it does seem like he's talking very literally about himself. Even if the pictures are, are metaphorical, he's still literally talking talking about him and his attitude towards the way he's perceived. Yeah. But it also, just like that line you just read, everybody's dying just to catch the disease. Oh, everybody wishes that they had as many pictures of them as I'm having to deal with. And then once they get it, maybe they'll feel what I feel and understand.
2: Maybe they'll realize it's a disease, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why where I took that line.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're, it's kind of one and the same. Like, definitely that and the kind of like, you think you want this thing that's really not that great.
0: Yeah, and he's like, you know, I just want to make songs. I don't want this stuff. <laughs>
2: right. I wanted to point out a small thing. You know, there's not a lot of um, not a lot of four-letter words in Eliot Smith songs. They're you know they're not littered with them. But like to see me down on my fucking knees. I love how he punches the the fucking like he kind of relishes it. It's a kind of a, a great lyric that he sings and a great way that he sings the lyric.
0: I think that's a, a hallmark of his work in general. Is he he is understated a lot more times than he has to be. Mm-hmm. He'll pick and a lot of times it is with profanity, but there are other times when it's not necessarily profanity where He'll punch a line in just the right way. Yeah, he kind of relishes
2: it, you know, if, you, if he thinks it's particularly...
0: If it's, like, cutting or meaningful. Right, right. I mean, at least that's how it feels to me. Like, if he's either saying something that's really cutting or something that's like, y- you need to hear what I'm saying now. Yeah, exactly. Great great emphasis placed on that. Yeah, exactly. And and that's one of the things, like I was saying, that's one of the things about his whole vocal style is because he is very understated a lot of the time. So when he does pick those moments, they carry a little bit more weight. Definitely. I think we've covered about as much as we can about pictures of me. All right. Uh. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to no name number five. Got a broken heart. to say I don't have a lot to say about this song because in many ways for me I felt like this song was like a summation of the first three songs. Mm -hmm. We talked
2: uh, over the last one about like what songs we think are probably the you know our favorites on the album or the best I am. This is one that I it's maybe my least favorite on the album. I'm not really sure why part of it may be that the title of the song No Name Number 5 he has and on his first album Elliot Smith had four No Name songs one of which I think is probably one of his best songs so I can't I every time I see the title I want to be listening to that one instead.
0: Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you. I know exactly, I mean, we may be talking about a different one, but one of the Untitled songs is one of my favorite Elliot Smith songs, and the rest of them I don't like so much.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. That being said, I I mean, I think this is you know songs a lot about becoming at peace with being alone. Obviously, there's a lot of images of, like, no one's there anymore. Every, everybody's gone.
0: Which is why I connected it back to the ballad of Big Nothing, for my meaning, you know?
2: Yeah. And then he says, after the, because everybody's gone at last, don't get upset about it, no not anymore. Like, to me, it's like saying, like, I don't, I don't care anymore. Like I'm kind of like I understand that I'm alone now. That's kind of like you're kind of hitting rock bottom, and he's got nowhere to go, and that's kind of it. Like there's just no. He understands where he's at, you know.
0: Totally. And I'd like to say that even without feeling like this song is a summary of the first three songs, I do feel like musically this song has this feeling of reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it just feels like it's a song that's made to think back on stuff. I.
2: That's all I've got for this song. It's it's again not one of not one of my favorites on the album.
0: Yeah, it's probably one of my. my my lesser songs on this album for sure but you know what let's go ahead and move on to one of my other standout tracks absolutely let's go ahead and play a little bit of rose parade If anyone ever asked me to make a best of Elliot Smith, there's no way this song would not go on there.
2: Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I was ranking,
0: kind of did like a
2: little like one through 10 scale. Was, I was listening to these songs, like kind of like and I gave this one an eleven. I mean, I love this song. It's
0: so good. So many things about it. That it's also one. I have a couple notes, including a little excerpt from an interview. But one of the things I love about that is it's kind of the midpoint of an album that is mostly depressing. And what the beautiful things about this song to me is that it's showing the awkward moment when you capture the delight and joys of others when you can't relate to them. Right. It's. I mean, it's. It's interesting. It's. It's maybe the happiest album, happiest song of the
2: album. You know, uh, or at least at least the most hopeful. Perhaps
0: certainly in its in its sounding itself. There are some lyrics on this song that just, ah. Oh. yeah, I
2: there's still there's still a sense of kind of being outside and disconnected from the world. But so much of the song is about describing this kind of almost interesting place, you know, uh, otherworldly kind of alternate reality that he's like walking around these streets and all these things are happening which I find really great
0: and then but then again like the whole time it's just like there's this surrealism of how happy the music and what's going on sounds compared to what we know the narrator feels Mm -hmm. (laughs) like and then there's that line like the people passing by they all seem to be going the other way it's just I can't relate to what's going on I can't march in your parade I'm sure you have some other points but I'd love to just read this little interview excerpt I have and then we can can talk more but uh, I have this thing this interview and I, I found it online I should i should cite where it's from but you know what elliot smith was talking about He was like and the rose parade is a parade that happens in portland every year and the interview's response was oh wow so and then elliot cuts him off he's like but the song wasn't really supposed to be about that parade it was just supposed to be about parades in general like the way people parade around and expect you to join in on their peacock march you know someone does we're looking good. That kind of attitude. It's like people get fucked over a lot by sort of trying to parade around as something that they're not really. But they can be for a long while. Uh, but then it all goes wrong. They go on to talk about how the Duracell bar- Bunny isn't the one that marched. But <laughs> like, I think it. I think it's funny. Also, this is like one of three songs I know where they reference the Duracell Bunny and what they mean is the Energizer Bunny. Really. Yeah, there's a, there's a Captain, J, Captain Jazz song where one of the last lines is, keep on running, little bunny, keep on running, all that Duracell sold during the Super Bowl. Interesting. But I, I think it's funny how he's, he's like... Almost literally talking about parades and how you and I have m- metaphorical meanings to it. But he's just like, yeah, you see these people parade and you're like, screw you.
2: <laughs> I mean, it
0: is like what I was
2: saying, like how the lyrics really just describe what's happening on the streets. Like it's one of the more literal songs on the album, literally just describing guys on walking down the street or a dog or trading a smoke for a food stamp dollar, which is a line I love.
0: <laughs> or the, the musician. I love that the trumpet's obviously been drinking because he's fucking yeah. up even the simplest line. They say it's a sight that's quite worth seeing. It's just that everyone's interest is stronger than mine, and that's that's where
2: the kind of the more melancholy creeps back into the into the lyrics. I think. I mean, I really think the lyrics aren't that sad until you you have those those two lines. It's just that everyone's interest is stronger than mine. When they clean the streets, I'll be the only shit that's left behind.
0: I think it's the juxtaposition of the sad and the happy, mm-hmm, right? And I feel like that's what makes the song so beautiful. Is that he's again the according to the way I see it, he's surrounded by this beauty and this fun. And none of it makes sense to him, which is fine. I, I feel that way plenty. Definitely. You know, we could keep talking about how awesome this song is for ages, but I don't have anything of value to add to this part of the conversation. Yeah, I, I think that's it for me. Let's go ahead and hear some of Punch and Judy.
2: Driving around, up and down Division Street.
1: I used to like it. Here. it just bumps me out to remember i
0: This song was one of like my least favorite songs back in the day. Okay, but for some reason, it really grew on me this time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I did. I remember listening when listening to this album when I was younger, being done with Rose Parade and just being like, "All right, I want to listen to to say yes," which we'll get to later. So I would I would skip a lot of these <laughs> these next few songs. But going back and listening to this song, I did really enjoy it. I mean, it's pro- maybe one of my again one of my favorites on the album.
0: Yeah, and well, and one thing, and this is definitely where I saw the lyrics as opposed to hearing it. Is I always thought. The refrain was, you think I'm going to make the same mistake twice like a question, Mm -hmm. but it's not. It's, I think I'm going to make the same mistake twice like a statement. Interesting. I always kind of thought it was a question too. Yeah, like, do you really think I'm going to make the same mistake twice? But no, that's not what he's saying. He's like, I I think I'm going to. And, you know, uh, I I think the song is about knowing the routine and falling for it anyways, which leads into the the title. A Punch and Judy show is like a classic puppet show. Yeah, right. So it's all these people on these strings caught in these routines that they're even unaware of. Yeah,
2: I I thought it was interesting, like, having, I guess, if you want to call them the two main characters named Punch and Judy and kind of what that implies um, in terms of, like, The puppet shows are usually like they're very violent, kind of about like being unsatisfied with like your life. You know, the the character Punch is usually being beset upon by his wife you know, a nag to do things, which he doesn't respond well. So I thought all that implies about kind of like where this relationship might go at the beginning of the song um, is kind of interesting.
0: Well, and I think from a, of a higher level too, I feel like this song is about fate. I, d- I don't know if he intentionally put it in, but I mean, when I think about puppet strings, that's just one of the things that just comes to my mind immediately. And, you know, they talk in circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they don't speak easy. It's just, you're stuck. I, I mean, yeah, that's just how it really feels to me. But it, like I was saying, Like, this song had a lot more meaning as an adult than it did as a teenager.
2: Yeah. I mean, what you were saying about it being about fate, like, I agree. I think there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of lyrics in me. Feel like like you're not they're not in control of like where this is going and it's going to go poorly. <laughs> yeah. Now now they're gonna go say the words in the wrong order again. Like they just can't they can't do anything right and it's not like and there's no avoiding it. There's no correcting.
0: Yeah. But I do I still like I love the refrain so much more than I, I ever did before. The can't you ever say anything nice? I think I'm gonna make the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like I've been in that situation in my life. One thing that I I was kind of like. Puzzling with with
2: these lyrics were, um, kind of at the beginning of the song, it seems as if he's talking about other people. He says, they they walk in a circle, they used to be a part of, and then even later he says, uh, they draw the curtain, wait for a call, pretty lucky if they get any kind of response at all. But then that refrain, he goes back to saying, I... And I wonder, like, where where he fits into this story that he's telling.
0: The way it looks to me, and I mean, it may may look completely different to you, is that the verses are him looking at the world outside, being like, oh, look at them doing the exact same thing over and over again. Look at how them stuck in the routine. And then the refrains where he's like, oh, wait, so am I. OK, interesting. Does that make sense to you? I mean, that's, yeah, that does make sense. That's the way it reads to me. Like, these verses are like, oh, look at these people easily going on life, living, living on strings and not worrying about the fact. That they're doing the same thing over and over again, and then all of a sudden, when the refrain comes, he's internalizing that. Mm-hmm, right. So that's just the way I I felt about it. I don't I don't know if you have any other thoughts since. No,
2: no. I mean, I was just curious about it because I I was kind of trying to figure out where the the refrain fit into the rest of
0: the lyrics, and that and that makes sense to me. I, yeah, it definitely feels like a perspective switch. Like the verses are other people, and the, the refrains are me. Mm-hmm. But I, I really feel like that kind of wraps up all we can say about Punch and Judy. But all right, we're gonna go ahead and and. Hear here are just a small sample of Angela's. Don't
1: start me trying now Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh all over it, Angela I can make you satisfied in everything you do
0: I feel like there's a lot of things that go on in this song, mm-hmm. but to me, I mean, there are a line or two that supports it. But something about this song just always makes me think of the evils of money. Uh huh. No, I think that's definitely in there.
2: Yeah, the 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 first lyric I wrote down, the the I've seen your picture on a hundred dollar bill, as a compliment, as you know, a compliment saying like you're worth money, like you are you were worth this much.
0: Yeah, and there's, I, I'm i spacing on, I don't have the lyrics right in front of me right now, but the picking up the ticket shows there's money to be made. Go on and lose the gamble. It's the history of the trade.
2: Yeah, I maybe I'm drawing too much on the the name of the song, but to me, it was it was about kind of the evils of money and the evils of, um I mean, Los Angeles. To me, it's about trying to go there and, and make
0: it. That's what a lot of people, what rumors say that this song is about. I couldn't find any instance of, of him flat out saying it, but a lot of it is saying that it's rumors about the way he experienced the LA music scene. Right, yeah. Which which makes a lot of sense and then still ties into
2: the money idea. Going off that, the line, you said "the picking up the ticket shows there's money to be made. Go on and lose the gamble. That's the history of the trade. The trade being, you know, trying to make it in the music business in Los Angeles, you know, and it's a gamble. And there's a lot of ways that, you know, it ends badly, whether it's through money or if it's through um, someone telling you that you're worth something and lying to you in the first verse. And what's a game of chance to you to him is one of real skill there, you know, that there are people there who will kind of prey on you.
0: Oh, and I definitely, and I feel like part of this is almost him being upset with himself. For falling mm-hmm. for this kind of thing because it just like or we can keep using this quote but the picking up the ticket shows there's money to be made is kind of like him admitting to himself the fact that I bought a plane ticket or a bus ticket or whatever to move here it just shows that I was I was doing this for money anyways definitely and it's a little bit like he's admonishing
2: himself for that and then towards the end of the song he, I think he kind of I think towards the end of the song he he kind of acknowledges I mean he's he's already said that it's evil earlier but all your secret wishes could right now be coming true and be forever with my poison arm around you you know that it's that this place is is poison that it can kill you it can it can deliver on your dreams but it's at a cost
0: yeah I think I think exactly what you're saying about about all that makes perfect sense other notes I have you know a lot of we've already discussed a lot of this album could be about drug use and I feel like this song could be too but I don't feel like it is as much as the other ones
2: yeah neither do I I didn't write down anything uh about addiction or, or drug abuse while I was in the song it really I mean I don't know that's straightforward to me but it, it really was about maybe trying to make it in Los Angeles. Sure, like that can apply maybe getting into drugs there, but I don't know that anything explicitly talks about it in the lyrics.
0: I don't really think it does. I feel like it's one of those things because at this point in time, we know his history so well that we could easily tie it into anything he did if we were trying. Sure. And I feel like this song may fall under that. Like if you were trying really hard, you could tie it into lyrics, but I feel like it's about business and it's about money and it's about the evilness of both. Yes. Yeah. It's a great song. I love that Up next, we have Cupid's Trick. Usually I'm really good at remembering song titles and remembering songs by their titles. When we started this project, I was like, my Cupid's trick. It's the only song on this album I can't remember, but I remember I never liked it.
2: That's it. I, I'm glad you said that. This is the other one that I I, I think, along with No Name number no. five, was kind of my least my least favorite.
0: Well, the funny thing about that is, is after I like the first time I sat down to listen to this album again for for this podcast, mm-hmm. I got to this song and I realized, oh my god, I parody the refrain to this song all the time and never realized it was this song. <laughs> I don't necessarily like like it still, but that refrain like is pretty easy to. Like sing about whatever else is going on in your life. Yeah,
2: you saying uh, the which which
0: refrain part are you saying? You lift me up. It's my life that one? Yeah, I is he saying life or lie? I always thought it was life, but I think the lyrics say it's, it's lie. Yeah, I think it's lie. That's interesting that you thought thought it was life. But maybe that's just how I sang it for a decade. Right.
2: <laughs> I think it's that for some reason, maybe it's that refrain that I just, I don't, I don't really enjoy as much. It's, maybe it's too it's too repetitive for some reason to me. That's just the part of the song it doesn't quite get me.
0: Which is funny because it's the other way around for me. That's the part of the song that I do enjoy while the rest of it doesn't move me as much. Right. But again, I, the way way he delivers that line like we were talking about earlier like that's a punched line Mm -hmm. so much the way he emphasizes it which is interesting because when asked about the meaning of this song he was told that he was high on something and he was not sure what the lyrics meant but that he liked them yeah i don't know what the lyrics mean either i don't think anyone does i think it's one of those things where he's put some words together and was like they don't have to mean anything if i like the way they sound
2: yeah and that's true
0: yeah and and honestly that's kind of you know a band or a, a writer that will eventually get brought up on on this podcast one of my favorite writers i wouldn't say all he writes is nonsense but he makes a very very big effort so that even if you don't understand what he's trying to say with his words you can find your own meaning within them and i think that's what kind of happens for this song yeah and that's probably why i always heard life instead of lie (laughs) there you go but yeah i definitely think that this and no number no name number five are probably the two biggest not they're not bad
2: songs i know that's it's a a weird saying that they're not good because they are um but probably my least favorite the least compelling maybe
0: yeah i mean it's not representative of his best work but yeah these lyrics i'm not going to quote any of them besides the thing i badly sang earlier but they don't make as much sense as the rest of this album
2: yeah there's just not there's not as much there really the i mean the refrain you sang—that that is the song there are a few lines but it's not it's not much
0: that's probably the other reason like you were saying that part does get repetitive so that's probably why i skipped this song so much even though i like that part it is like almost two minutes of that part yeah definitely but yeah so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna listen to 2.45 2.45 a.m.
1: It's 2.45 in the morning, and I'm putting myself on warning for waking up in an unknown place with the recollection you have erased. Looking for somebody's arms to wave
0: away past... While I'm not going to put this on my standout tracks, I'm pretty sure this is the song that made me really appreciate Elliot Smith to begin with. Why is that? I don't know, because I'm an insomniac, so 2.45 in the morning and being confused made sense to me. Right. No, it's just... I mean, I, I, this is a note that I have about this one is where the other songs doesn't make sense so it's easy to personalize. This one is easy to personalize even beyond the original intent.
2: Yeah, there's this is kind of has the opposite thing going for it from Cupid's Trick, where in Cupid's Trick, I felt like there wasn't a lot other than the refrain lyric-wise. This one has so much packed into it. Every line you can really take and make your own and take, again, like you said, outside of the original kind of intent of it, you can take it and kind of make whatever you want out of
0: it. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like th- according to him, this song is is about his stepfather, who he suffered an abusive relationship. Right. You know, there are totally lines that reflect that. Like you know, the pretty thing he made desert you is him talking about his stepfather right. making his mom not pay attention to him. Yeah. I think there's so many other ways to look at this song. There's just so much going on here. Every every line I I think has so much going on. The
2: right after that, I'm going out like a baby, a naive, unsatisfiable baby. Like that could be he's like. What I immediately thought of is like, again, dying, like you go out like you came in, like you go out like you were born, you die like you were born, which there's so much in that lyric. Um, and then the naive, unsatisfiable baby, it's like, there's no way he can know.
0: I- I'll cut you off. But what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me because that's kind of always how I interpreted it. Like I was saying, you know, like I've, all, I've suffered from insomnia for a large part of my life. And so like at 2.45 in the morning, unless it's like a weekend or a party, you've got nothing to do but sit with yourself, mm-hmm. especially yeah. if you're not in a relationship or anything. You've got nothing to do but sit with yourself and you. And it's just you. Yeah. And the thoughts of the day may be sticking with you, but the causes of them are gone. You're really just stuck with, with your thoughts on you, and that's it. Yeah,
2: definitely. This this song also has another case of um, him kind of punching the, if you say shit now, you'll do it out loud. Yeah. Uh, the, way he, the way he punches that line is really great.
0: Yeah, exactly. And huh, I don't know. It's, there's so much. And obviously, like, 2.45 in the morning is pretty, uh, you just got home or just got to some place after a night at a bar. Mm-hmm. Like, you can look at this in so many many ways yeah i i think i think overall it was
2: kind of like it being you know the 2:45 a.m title it's kind of like i imagine like it being late at night and you're by yourself and you're kind of dealing with all this pain because that's kind of the only time you can do it when you're up during the day and you have errands to run and you're around people and you don't have time to deal with a lot of like a pain that you have and kind of the only time to do it is when you're by yourself Late at night And a lot of lyrics In the song is about You know Obviously the song Is about dealing With a lot of that
0: pain And yeah totally And another line That I really love That when you look at this Is how he wrote it It's very clear And very specific But I just love the line Looking for the man That attacked me While everybody's laughing at me Mm -hmm. I don't know I internalize a lot of things But I mean I don't feel like He's actually talking about To me When I hear this song And interpret it for me Right I don't think he's talking About a literal man Right Like I'm just looking For the thing That swept my leg out from under me not sweep me off my feet but knocked me to the ground right yeah and this whole time i'm trying to find this and everyone's just like what are you t- what are you talking about who cares move on
2: yeah I, I think like i said a lot a lot of these like you can sure they can be like interpreted literally if you're thinking about like maybe where he was coming from while writing the song but yeah every like it could mean when you're listening to it just for yourself you're, like the man that attacked me is like it's like the thing that has caused me
0: this pain yeah the, the thing that has put me here yeah at 2 45 in the morning <laughs> putting myself on warning okay we should stop before we just sit here and pick apart every line by this song like what we were saying at the top of this song is true like this is a loaded song there is a lot going on in it and whether you want to look at it literally from his point of view or you want to interpret it your own way you're open to it yeah okay well i think we're gonna go ahead and move on to the very last song of either or let's do it let's hear a little uh, a little sweet piece of say yes i'm in love
1: with the Through the eyes of a girl Who's still around the morning after We broke up a month ago And I grew up, I didn't know I'd be around the morning after
0: So I think it's safe to say we're probably both putting this as our last standout track.
2: Yeah, I mean, would you say that this is the best song on the album? I think I probably would. I wouldn't. I'd put Rose Parade. Interesting. I mean, that's a it's a number two for me. But yeah, I I, I just love this song so much. Um, again, like like Rose Parade. I mean, I guess you could maybe. I don't know if I would call it happy, but there's something hopeful in it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely more positive than a lot of the album.
2: Right. I don't know if that says something about me than my two favorite songs, although I guess yours too are maybe the most happy or hopeful, but it's it's definitely has that, maybe nostalgic is another word, you know? Yeah. That you, you're kind of fondly remembering some things. Obviously, it's not all good. Situations get fucked up and turned around sooner or later, but you know, I think there's a lot here that's it's
0: kind of beautiful. Yeah, I agree, and I feel like musically this might be the most Beautiful song on the album. Right. But I got to ask you, you think this girl is literal? Because sometimes I wonder. I think yes. I mean, I want to to feel. I want to. You want to say yes? I want to say yes. That it's, again,
2: I mean, I don't know that it's based on an actual girl that Elliot Smith was with at one time or another, but like, I feel like this is a song about a girl. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel like it is, and I feel like it's about an ex. Mm -hmm. Like, it's written. When it was written, it was about an ex who he just can't shake in a good way. Yes. Yeah. But I also feel like you. You can look at it As a metaphorical girl too mm-hmm. Like I don't know I, It's just like Putting all your hopes And dreams into one thing Interesting Which I feel like What a lot of this song is Is he's putting a lot of Hopes and dreams into He's in love with the whole world Just because this girl's Around another day Right And I don't think That's going to last forever For him to, Or Obviously it's not But I don't think anyone That's going to last forever That your whole world Is made just because Of one person And if it is Then I mean obviously You, you can have a day made By that But if your whole life Is made purely by one person it's problematic it's gonna in- not end well <laughs> yeah which was probably the
2: case yeah
0: well, what I was gonna say is this is something else I've always considered because very early we said that this it feels like Elliot Smith albums are chapters of his life mm-hmm. but I don't feel like each song is chronological like I don't think the first song is what happened first no no so sometimes I wonder if Say Yes is where this narrative this whole narrative of his life or this chapter of his life starts interesting yeah I, it's it is it would be so hard to kind
2: of try and put this in like a chronological thing. But it's nice to think about. It's fun to think about, I think. But it does feel like it, this song could be the beginning of a lot more songs, you know, or like a lot more feeling, a lot more stuff to kind of hash through and go through as a person or a songwriter, which is kind of interesting that it's, it winds up being the final song on this album.
0: Well, and it's it's a really weird juxtaposition to end this album with this song. I don't think Speed Trials is a bad starting song, but, you know, for a lot of albums, you want to pick a really strong open and a really strong theme finish. Yeah. And I, I think he just decided, I'm going to put my most beautiful melodic song right at the end. He was more concerned with finishing this album than he was the sequencing at the start. Right. Do you, do you think that Um,
2: I don't know that I ever read or heard him talk about this song specifically. Do you think he felt that this was the best song? Do you think it was a conscious decision to put it last, thinking it was one of the the standout tracks?
0: I think that's a better question. If he liked it or if he thought it was a standout track, I guarantee you before he ever released, he got notes being like, that song could get radio play. You could get on movies with that song. So, and I feel based on like, the few things I know about him, that probably pissed him off a little bit, mm-hmm. which might be why he's like, well, then I'm going to put it at the very end of the album. The very and, end, yeah. <laughs> you had to sit through the whole thing before you get there. But then again, yeah. that's just hearsay. That's just fr- from my understanding of the situation.
2: I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, he must he must have had some, some kind of notion that it was at least, again, a standout song, if not a great song. I don't know that you can ever think, you know, as an artist, if you think something you do is great. I don't know if that happens. <laughs> um, I think it does. But those artists uh, concern me. Right. Yeah, they're, they can be problematic. But yeah, to make it to make it the last song, I think he must have yeah felt that it was important to end on this note, which makes me consider
0: it all the more, I suppose. Maybe I'm confusing this with a different album, but I feel like even Full Circle, you kind of hear a little production noise after this song. I you know I don't I don't remember now. Um, I feel like there's like a ends. weird string pluck, like you're setting the guitar down and hit the string wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. I mean, our audience just heard it, and so they're probably like yelling at us and telling us we're idiots, but we didn't just listen to the full song; we just heard a clip. So so yeah, I, I, do, I, I do think that he kind of put this one last intentionally, like, this is the song that most of the people are going to buy the album for, so hide it back here at the end. Mm, yeah. And I think it's a great way to end this album, too, because like like we've said, this is a really dark album, so ending it on a positive note is probably a smart way to go. Yeah. Other listeners and, and friends may know that I, I struggle with depression, and on days that depression was really bad and I'm listening to this album, it can be really weighty. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of really wallow in it. So I think it was intentional to be like, let's let's not make their last thoughts like make them want to pull their own heart out yeah which that kind of goes back to like when we started this podcast we're
2: talking about kind of like the album as a concept or as a whole and we we both kind of said that well maybe it's really just a collection of great songs putting this at the end is a very album thing to do like talking about saying like if they've listened to this whole album all the way through and i've kind of put them through the ringer with some of these songs give them this little bit at the end that's again maybe hopeful and sweet uh,
0: yeah definitely and uh, with that let's go ahead and say I'd like to say unless you have anything to say specifically about Say Yes let's let's go full circle and talk a little bit more about the album and Elliot Smith before we close okay I mean do you have anything else you wanted to say about Say Yes? No I, I think that was it but yeah I think as we talked I do, I do think that this is an album and not a collection of songs and I do think it's because of conscious sequencing mm-hmm. like we were saying Rose Parade kind of comes up in the middle of the album yeah it's Kind of like, well, you've been listening to a lot of dark and dense stuff. Here's something a little less dense. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, obviously the autobiographical nature makes it very much feel like a slice of his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I got to ask is, and and for listeners really quick, I'm going to go ahead and restate. For me, the best songs are Pictures of Me... Rose Parade and say yes.
2: Interesting. I think I'm probably gonna go Rose Parade, say yes, and maybe Punch and Judy. Uh, I I really loved it listening to it again. Like I I probably listened to the album three or four times uh, over the last month, kind of like thinking about this podcast. And I I found myself like actually going back and just listening to that song by itself, like not even through the whole album.
0: Well, yeah, like we were saying when we were talking about that song, I definitely did not appreciate that one as much when I was younger, but have developed a much greater appreciation of it. Yeah. I want to I want to say something that may be controversial now that we're winding down this conversation. With the exception of Roman Candle, this might be my least favorite Elliott Smith album. Wow, that is very controversial. <laughs> yeah, I was like listening to it. I was like, this is great, but this has very few of my favorite Elliott Smith songs.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of forgotten. I, you know, I suggested this as an album to talk about because I listened to it so much like growing up, but I, d- I did forget how many, how many songs I love that aren't on this album, <laughs>
0: which is interesting. And I think that's, that speaks for his catalog. He's got sure. a great catalog and I by no means think that this is a bad album. Yeah. But I, like I said, besides Roman Candle, which I think the only song on Roman Candle I like is the Untitled or the No Name song we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. But with the exception of Roman Candle, this is my least favorite. I like the one before this, the self-titled one more. Mm-hmm. I still think XO is my favorite Elliott Smith album.
2: I agree. Uh, and we. I remember having a conversation with you once about kind of like bands or artists met like kind of masterpiece albums or like their greatest, like where they hit their stride. And I think XO is probably that album for Elliott Smith. But I, I did love that you in either or you can really hear him going that way with like, again, kind of a little, a little more production going on, more instrumentation. And again, he kind of hits the peak of that in XO, I think.
0: Yeah, and I feel like XO is he's taken everything he's learned, both playing in Heat Miser and from his solo career and really applies it to one thing. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like this, you know, concurrently earlier Elliot Smith stuff was going on when the same time he was playing in the, in the like indie rock band Heat Miser. So he's really like trying to distinguish his solo career from his band career. Yeah. And I think by the time he hits XO, that's not a problem that's anymore. That's
2: not a problem anymore, right? That's interesting that you're saying that about the album being one of your least. I wonder how much in my mind, and maybe in yours too, this album is propped up by those two great songs, um, Rose Parade and Say Yes. Like, how much of the album in my mind are those two
0: songs? I think a lot of this album is propped up in my mind just for pure nostalgia. This was the first one I got. This was the mm-hmm. first one I heard as a complete album. Like, that stuff will stick with you no matter what. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, one thing that I I, kind of looked into when I was doing some research and that I kind of, I guess, meant to say earlier is the title of the album, Either Or, which is, I guess, it's from a book uh, by Kierkegaard, uh, also called Either Or, uh, which I was looking up um, on Wikipedia, obviously where everyone gets all their information um, right, right. and either, or the book it's just, I'll just read this quick portrays two life views, one consciously hedonistic, the other based on ethical duty and responsibility. And so I wonder, like obviously the title is like either, or it's a lot about duality. And a lot of these songs, we talked about him, it's about him kind of dealing with perhaps his substance abuse and addiction and kind of like balancing, figuring out how to live a
0: normal life or if he even can. Or to balance his obligations to other people. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, usually it's so hard doing this podcast is there's always something that I forget. But yeah, usually we do like to talk about the title at the top. So I'm glad you you brought that back around. Uh, Let me go ahead and ask you this one little uh, thought. For our listeners who listen to this album and let's let's pretend or we know that a few of them have never heard this album before and that's fine but what would you suggest to them that isn't Elliot Smith from this album if they are like I want this album I want more music like this but not necessarily Elliot Smith but not necessarily Elliot Smith um that's interesting
2: I would recommend I don't know that he's similar especially definitely not in vocal style actually he's probably more similar to Bright Eyes in vocal style I really like David Dondero oh I love David Dondero yeah you know again like singer-songwriter kind of folksy a lot of his songs are can be pretty melancholy and sad, but the music, I think, again, more more folksy potentially than Elliot Smith, um, but the music can be have really great uh, hooks and can be, again, almost poppy with the melodies.
0: That's a really good recommendation. I'm not going to lie. One of one of the reasons I asked you instead of just right out telling what I was suggesting to people is because the way I think about it, it's so hard because you got, well, who does the folksy singer-songwriter stuff? Right. And, and a lot of those people don't have the voice that Elliot Smith does. Yeah, definitely. Which, while the voice isn't an important thing to me, it's important thing to a lot of people. And I understand and respect that. And Elliot Smith's voice is better than a lot of the singer songwriters that I love. Right. So, you know, it is hard for me to place that. David Dondare is probably a really, a really good one. In ter- yeah. In terms of, in terms
2: of, again, like I think the music and kind of subject matter, I think it, it's probably a good, a good one to, to go with.
0: Yeah. Now, if you are just looking for a sad singer songwriter, I always recommend Bright Eyes Letting Off the Happiness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know who doesn't these days. Actually that's not that's not true. I think most people would recommend later era Bright Eyes which I don't like as much. I, I think we've we've kind of really had a nice little talk about this album. I don't think there's any more room for discussion, do you? No, yeah. I, I think we hit on a lot of the points that I had for sure. Thanks so much for talking to me.
2: Definitely. Uh, it was uh it was fun. Thanks so much. Start
1: stop and start. Stupid, acting smart. Flirting with the you say it's just for
0: kids. And with that, we close the books on another album. This discussion was recorded quite a while ago, so some of Nathan's plugs were outdated. One of the things that you should check out is the movie he worked on, To The Stars. It's really good. And on my own personal suggestion, he did some work on the Netflix Paul Rudd show, Living With Yourself. And I think that's also thoroughly enjoyable. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about the album People's Distinctive Travels on the Path of Rhythm by A Tribe Called Quest. Should be a fun discussion. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, or just want to contribute in on the conversations of these albums, you can follow us on Twitter at Ears underscore New. You can follow us on Facebook at New Ears podcast. Or you can just send us an email at abandoned mascot prod at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. I want you. This podcast is an Abandoned Mascot production and part of the Abandoned Mascot Network, a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at AbandonedMascot1. That's Abandoned M A S C O and the number one. Thanks for listening.